pass to Plum. Here come the Aces on the run. The Energizer looks for Ty Young. Sprints to the hoop. Off the glass and good. Good, good, good. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Oh, mercy. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Show. And here we go. Get ready for the fourth quarter of game number four. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. Hammy's going to let one fly. Chance of three. Chance of three. The Energizer. What a three from half court. Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding me? T.C. Martin. There are six seconds to go. And the Energizer hit a wild, crazy, improbable three. To give the aces the lead. The doctor is now in, 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 in. All right, glad to have you with us. Hour number two, T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank here on this Wednesday. Aces held a press conference earlier today at Allegiant Stadium. Mark Davis introduced the new president for the Las Vegas Aces. That's right, Bill Lambeer. Uh, relinquished one of his roles as the president and head coach. He held both of those duties when the Aces relocated here, uh, going back to four years ago. And Bill Lambeer said, hey, if I can only choose one, I want to be the head coach. So Mark Davis was on a mission to hire a president, and he did that and officially today. Nikki Vargas, the former head coach at LSU, she's uh, played in uh, uh in the WNBA, she also was a assistant coach under Pat Summit. Played under Pat Summit, University of Tennessee, back in the day. Got a great background, and she's got a lot of uh, Raider ties as well. Too, um, her husband uh, played for the Raiders, you know, uh, back in the day. So, yeah, uh, interesting news today. Nikki Vargas named the new president of the Las Vegas Aces. She will join us at the bottom of the hour. So hang tight for that. As she uh, makes her transition into her new position. So remember, and we talked about this briefly on the show a few weeks back, when uh, Kim Mulkey left Baylor, and we go, wow, and she took the job at LSU. Well, she took over for Nikki Vargas, and at that point in time, Nikki Vargas said that she was stepping down to pursue another opportunity. Lo and behold, who knew that that opportunity was to become the president of the Las Vegas Aces? Yeah, and, and can't really say that I'm surprised that uh, if Lambeer said I want to keep one, that he would want to be the coach. He's a hands-on kind of guy. He's, you know, X's and O's. You know, he wants the direct input in the game. You can build a team and help that those kind of decisions behind the scenes with uh, being the president. But, uh, yeah, I, I would be shocked if Lambeer would have stepped away from the sideline. So, yeah, but and, and, and we'll see what it is now because, you know, it's uh, – it, it, it frees him up a little bit to even be just more in, all in with the team. And it, it's also be interesting to see exactly what her role is and what kind of input she has and, uh, you know, where the team goes from here. Uh, again, she's coming here with a team with very, very lofty expectations. Right. Justin Vargas uh, played with the Raiders, and her father lives here in Las Vegas. Might have heard of him. Antonio Vargas. Now ring a bell to you? Ring a bell? Yeah. Was that the was that the key there? No. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember Antonio Vargas with a fish in his shoes, and I'm gonna get you, sucker. That's what I'm talking about. There. There you go. All right. So uh, yeah. So uh, funny how, how it all ties in. So Mark said that they interviewed uh, four candidates, and he goes, Nikki just stood out uh, above and beyond uh, anyone else, and uh, great. And another, you know, having another. 
female and a former player and a head coach at one of the most prestigious programs at LSU, uh, now involved in the WNBA and having a pretty powerful position here with the Aces. So, uh, yeah, she's looking forward to uh, permanently now relocating uh, to Las Vegas. So congratulations to Nikki Vargas. She will join us a little bit later on here in the show. So now, how, how was the press conference over there? It was good. It yeah. was good. Yeah, it was a, an Elysian Stadium. And, uh, and again, even that just shows the difference. I mean, and yes. not that the Aces weren't respected in that before, but that they can have a venue like Allegiant Stadium now to make an announcement like this. Right. You know, without Mark Davis, yeah. that ain't happening. Yeah. You know, it's funny <laughs> because when we were walking into uh, the building today, and you and I have talked about this before, you go in one entrance for the media for the Raider games, you go into a different one for UNLV games. And the parking's and, different from the, the different park, games it, in that, And it too. was again today. So we're walking around, and I saw Ron Futrell, and we're you know, going in. I saw Heidi Fang, and we're going, where, where are we supposed to go here? And we went through everything, the temperature checks, everything that you had to do and register and all that stuff. Then we had to be escorted, and it took us to a part of the stadium that I've never been before. And when I've gone to the Raider games and the UNLV games, you're, you basically go into the press box. You can like go down, look at the concourse, peek on the field, that sort of thing. But you really can't really walk around. I've been able to peek into uh, one or two of the lounges that, of course, were, were closed because there were no fans there. Right. But today they held the press conference in one of the uh, lounges that none of us have ever been in before. And first thing Mark said, he goes, you guys like this? Yeah, you know, pretty cool, huh? And because he didn't go to any games himself this year. It really goes, this is the first time that I'm really getting a chance to, to be in the stadium as well, too. So, yeah, the press conference was nice. Uh, the lounge they set up for the press conference was nice. Big bar, food, and I already talked about the food yeah. you know, so earlier. Outside so of turkey sliders, it was a home run. It was, it was great, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> but the turkey sliders look great if you like that. But, obviously, I went for the carne asada fajitas. So, but, yeah. Yeah, they had everything. They they had great food, chips, salsa, uh, very comfortable in there as well too. You know, have whatever you want to drink, and uh, so it was nice. Good, yeah, yeah good stuff. So we'll talk to uh, Nikki Vargas, the new president of the Aces, coming up. But right now, let's talk about what we saw last night, my friend, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. And we knew going into it, this was going to be a huge game, huge ramifications. And we said, well, Vegas wins. It pretty much sealed the deal. President's Trophy, best record in the NHL, top seed, winning the West Division. But if they lose, wow, this could turn things upside down. And like you mentioned last hour, Frank, it definitely turned things upside down. Colorado fell behind 1-0. Vegas got a goal by Petrangelo and looked to be in control. Colorado looked pretty sloppy. And then... Midway through the second period, the Avalanche strikes with a goal, tied at 1-1. And at that moment, it just looked like to me that the Avalanche kind of started playing with more confidence and could breathe a little bit easier. And then uh, as we get to the third period, you know, we're, we're tied at one. Midway through the third period, Colorado scores uh, what turned about to be the game-winning goal. They hold on for a 2-1 victory. Golden Knights had chance after chance after chance and uh, severely outshot the Avalanche last night, but it was Colorado's night. 
Yeah, I believe Vegas outshot them like thirty-seven to twenty-one. They controlled the the start the start of the game. They had to jump early on. Uh, could have been up two to nothing. Alex Tuck had a had an opportunity that he hits ninety-nine out of a hundred times, maybe like nine hundred ninety-nine out of a thousand or something. But unfortunately, last night he missed it in that particular opportunity. But they still had control of the game. But it seemed to me like eventually that Vegas did wear down a little bit. Colorado got a little bit more of their rhythm. I, I'm not going to say that Colorado all played them because they didn't. And Bednar, the coach of Colorado, basically came right out and said, we didn't do anything we wanted to. Vegas controlled the, the game. They did what they wanted to. So they, he, he basically was given the victory to Grubauer, their goalie, who played a fantastic game last night. But uh, the game-winning goal was kind of because Vegas only had 15 players with 10 forwards and 5 defensemen because of the salary cap issues in that. And with Patch already not playing, but he still counts against it because he's on the roster and the NHL rules and everything. Um, it, it was kind of a bad change that Vegas had. They kind of got caught in it. They looked like maybe they wore down and got a little bit tired at the end of the game, and I think Colorado took advantage. But uh, Vegas certainly nothing to be ashamed of in the game. I thought Robin Leonard played well, but I thought Grubauer was sensational last night. And, uh, you know, Colorado gets a big, big win. Now they still have to beat L.A. twice to assure that they get the uh, the, the division. But uh, Vegas, they also have to worry about taking care of business against San Jose. It, it's it's been a great race all the way through. I just kind of feel that it's <laughs> for hockey fans. It's it's really not going to be fair if these two teams do not meet to see who goes on to you know the the final four or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. The, you know it, it, because this year there's not really the normal playoff. Whatever they're and, calling you know, it, exactly. It, it's not a Western Conference right, and you know right, this and that. Right. So. But um, but yeah, I mean they've been the best two teams out there. But also give it up for Minnesota; they've had a they've had a fine season as well. But yeah, a huge huge win for Colorado in a game that, quite frankly, they were outplayed in. Yeah. So let's talk about this because uh, a lot of people they're listening to us and they're going, well, "What are you talking about? Salary cap cap restraints? This is so strange. I don't recall ever having to talk about this before because you don't have salary cap issues in the middle of the season." let alone the end of the season when you're getting ready to go into the playoffs and you have arguably probably the biggest regular season game of the year that is going to probably determine the you know the best record in the NHL seeding uh, you know division title all of that stuff president's trophy because major league baseball NBA NFL all your salary cap stuff is it has nothing to do what transpires on the field. It's it's taken care of well in advance. It's, it's, done. it's not a game by game thing. It, this is insane. And and we get the memo last night before the game about okay, like you mentioned, fifteen uh, you know players for the Golden Knights. You know, uh, ten forwards, five defensemen, and because of injuries, which I understand, you got Patchetti's injury is worse than they expected. Uh, Alec Martinez, you know, he's out. Yeah. Uh, Peyton Krebs, Peyton Krebs. John is out indefinitely, it, and that yeah. could be a big blow yeah. to Vegas in the playoffs. Right. Ryan up. Reeves, and there's others. So, but then here, salary cap, cap restraints in this game, that has affected who they could suit up and who they could. What does this mean? This is unheard of, and people are listening to this right now like, I've never heard of such a thing. This is real. This is the NHL. This is crazy. Well, they've never heard of it because in Vegas it hasn't been an issue before. Because this was a new team. They had the blank slate when they first came in, and they weren't up against the salary cap. But when you pay Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard both starting goaltender money, and they're in the lineup every game together, that's a big hit on the salary cap. When you bring in Mark Stone and Alex Petrangelo and these other guys, and you give them big contracts – 
that's a big hit on the salary cap. What is crazy to me is some guy's injured that can't even play, but you can't. But he still counts against the salary cap because in the last ten or twelve games of the season or whatever, they still count even if they're not in the lineup. That is kind of insane, but they do it, I believe, because teams are known to hide players in that and go say, oh, well, so-and-so is hurt or something like that, even if they're not, to have them sit out of a game or that. I, I know, I'm know i a big Blackhawk fan. I know they've been accused of that kind of stuff over the years. Uh, so, you know, they do it as kind of a precaution to keep teams from cheating. But then when you see it last night and you're going like, well, wait a second, this team is literally playing with 10 forwards and five defensemen and then the two goaltenders. They have 15 guys where they should have 18. That's insane. That's not fair. That's Of course they're going to wear out in a game. And for the first time, maybe since he's been here, and maybe it's because of the Zoom calls and everything else and they haven't done all the face-to-face stuff, we saw Pete DeBoer get a little bit irritated last night when he was like, look, I'm not talking about any negatives in that. And then there was a question, and uh, he basically was like, yeah, I'm done. Just kind of ended the press conference or whatever. So, you know, because he didn't want to talk about it. You know, he's like, look, our team fought. They did hard. Well, yeah, but, you know, but that last goal was a little bit, you know, there were some changes on the ice and that. And, in fact, it was our friend Brian Blessing that asked the question. And the board was like, yeah, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> what What is insane is that your your salary cap, okay, is based on your roster, not your lineup that night. Not I mean, Your roster is what your roster is. and And, and that's... That's that's it. It should not affect who you can suit up in a game. This is where the NHL is backwards. Well, that's it, why that's insane. why people call it a garage league and but, say it's not a real professional league and all that kind of. Get out of it's, the garage! It's it's stupid. The most valuable person on a hockey team I've been saying for years might just be the yeah. accountant with the X's and O's and figuring the Rubik's cube to see who can yeah. and can't play. And, I mean, how many times? Even last year, before the Henderson Silver Knights were here. When we'd see, like, you know, a guy like um, he, he, that was going, uh, Nick Wah, um. who was going back and forth to Chicago, and they were still in Chicago. He had enough frequent flyer miles, he could probably do a around the world trip or something like that because of the salary cap. Okay, we're going to take him off the roster now for the games that we're not playing, so he doesn't count against the salary cap. Now we're going to bring him back in. It's, it's crazy. That's one of the reasons they wanted the Henderson Silver Knights out here because it's a lot easier taking people from Henderson to Vegas than it is from Vegas to Chicago all the time. The NHL salary cap restrictions and rules rules and the Rubik's Cube that it is are insane, and that's really just a nice way of me saying they're asinine. It is, because this is not... It's not like you're adding a player here that's coming from another team, and you got to you know have his salary cap against your cap. This is your ro- these guys have I've been on the roster all season long, and now we're hearing oh these guys can't play tonight. And I think the word that you used, I think you said that you know teams. I think you said cheated, right? They, oh, yeah. You call it for cheating. This is this isn't a steroid scandal. This isn't people banging on garbage cans here and stealing signs. They're circumventing they, the rules, TC. They, They're it, circumventing the salary cap. They, there is none. I mean, this is your roster. Your salary cap is is locked in, frozen. You know, before the season starts. And that's it. Not I mean, in the NHL, my friend. Again, it's a game-by-game game basis. Nobody will understand this. Nobody, because you're so used to all the other leagues, the way they do it professionally. And am I saying that the NHL is unprofessional? In this? You called it. Garagely? This is insane to say salary cap restraints 
at the end of a season, middle of a season, during a season, and players can't play because, oh, we, we're going to go over this number. That's got nothing to do with it. No one's getting any paychecks during the 60 minutes on the ice here. We're playing the game. That's why you, you haven't added anybody. You haven't added anybody. You've subtracted, but you haven't added anybody. This but, is crazy. But there is good news for Vegas Golden Knights fans. When the playoffs start... None of that stuff matters anymore. Now you can just suit them up and play. Oh, there we go. There we go. Oh, it's kind of like Larry Boa said. And, you know, wait, well, when the playoffs happen, we don't have to worry about a runner at second base in the 10th right, inning, right? exactly. Oh, yeah. So yeah. so what are we doing? Yeah. What this are we doing regular sal- season, Salary cap doesn't matter anymore because now you're in the playoffs. Uh, we don't have the shootouts. We don't have the three on three overtime. The people that do this, they get in their own way. You know, who make up these rules, decide this stuff, they get in their own way. Just stand down, stand aside. I keep saying insane. It is, it is insane what we're talking about here. It's pretty ludicrous, and it's in, and it is insane. But you know, it's kind of like when you take your car into the shop and you can't work on your own car anymore. I don't think they want people to understand it. You know, like how many times do people ask George McPhee or Kelly McCrimmon, well, "What are you going to do here?" Well, we'll figure all this stuff out. Is it? They're literally making up as they go along because they constantly have to watch this stuff. Do you know if you are a, I'm going to even say a casual fan, I'm going to say a novice fan or a casual fan, or just a, you're an ardent hockey fan. You're an ardent fan, and you're reading an article, for example. You're reading a write-up, and it says, oh, the Golden Knights uh, started, uh, you know, 10 forwards and five defensemen uh, were missing, you know, three players, couldn't start 18 due to salary cap restraints. You would think, that writer's out of his mind. What's he talking about? Doesn't he not, what, what does that have to do with anything? But... That is the thing in the NHL. And like you said, in the <laughs> most important game of the season. And not just necessarily for these two teams, maybe for the league. Because the President's Trophy and other things were on the line, and then Carolina gets blasted by Nashville, so they kind of take themselves out of the President's Trophy running. But yeah, it's I, I love the NHL, but a lot of the stuff they do are total head scratchers. Oh, unbelievable. All right, so we do know, uh, speaking of the playoffs, so we know the Golden Knights will play San Jose at San Jose tomorrow night. Colorado has two games at home against the Kings. Right now, the Golden Knights, 82 points. No, 80 points. 80, 80 points. points. And Colorado, 78. So you can do the math there. Two points for a win. There you have it. In regulation, right? Um well, two but, points for a win regardless. regardless One point exactly. for an overtime right. or right. shootout loss. So we can do the math and see how this all plays uh, out. We do know that the Golden Knights, regardless, will play playoff games on Sunday and Tuesday. And those will be home games at T-Mobile Arena, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They'll have home ice for the first. Uh, right. So it, It's just, yeah. will they have home ice against Minnesota as the second seed or against St. Louis as the first seed? Well, we'll have to wait. And so tomorrow night. Now this is a huge game against San Jose. And I believe that's a 6 p.m. game. Yeah, 6 p.m., and we'll talk about this more tomorrow. And San Jose, you know, are they ready just to pack it up and plan their vacations and going back home? Or or do they want they... to end on a high note? How much would say, because it is in San Jose, and remember it's going to be Marlowe's probably last game with them. You know, I mean, there's some other right. things there. How much do the San Jose Shark fans, how much would they love to beat Pete DeBoer and keep him from winning the President's Trophy, and from having that number one seed. And the flip side to that is, now Vegas Golden Knights fans are going, Drew Doughty and the Kings, go Kings, go! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many fans are actually going to be in attendance and 
the Shark Tank. Well, I don't know how many they're allowing up yeah, there. A limited San Jose, one of the few places too, where their their AHL team and their NHL team play all their games in the same place. They play in the SAP mm-hmm. because you know we saw the one, mm-hmm. you know, last Saturday when the doubleheader, yeah. the doubleheader. Well, that's commonplace up there. Right. They they, they, they both have another, play there. They really don't have another facility to, to play there. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm not that familiar with the area, but yeah. it's like, you know, but I mean, we have, you know, 16 different stadiums here in Vegas. You'd think right. they could build a 10,000-seat yeah. stadium if they really wanted to. Yeah. Well, the next closest thing there is San Jose State University and yeah, no no facility there. I'm, I'm just saying, well, yeah. and again, they don't have to play in the city of San Jose. Yeah. yeah. That's true. You know, yeah, you know we talk- San Diego is the Anaheim Ducks facility. Yeah. That's a I just bit think, of a and We'll trip. talk more about this tomorrow, but I just San Jose has been through so much where they had to play so many of their games in Arizona because uh, they're in Santa Clara County. They were not allowing them to play. You know, the 49ers as well, too. We, we, we saw that. Uh, you know, and, and Stanford had to go on the road. Yeah, all those and, and, and that's worth more that than county. just where people think it's a yeah. state by state thing. It's a county by county yes. thing and city yeah. by city and a lot of things. Remember, we saw New Mexico where their teams were coming to Vegas to play yeah. football and basketball yeah. and other things. So, so yes, yeah, so it's been a rough year for the Sharks, and I think they've said, "Hey, uh, enough, good. Let's uh, let's scratch this." And you know, I, I hear what you're saying. There's motivation, you would think, and all that stuff. You want you want to play hard. Let's see what happens tomorrow night. Golden Knights got to win that game. But more breaking news, speaking of the Golden Knights, uh, this is in regard to Bill Foley, the owner, chairman, CEO, of course, has announced that uh, the Vegas Golden Knights have purchased an expansion franchise from the Indoor Football League, the IFL. So it's not the Arena Football League. It's a, you know, yeah, another so one of those offshoots. It's one of the indoor football one leagues, the, but yeah. it's not the, right. the 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 top league of right. arena football. Yeah, because I I know the Arena Football League, and I have always been a big fan of the Arena Football League. I love when the Gladiators were yeah. out here. I mean, I mean, I had fun going to yeah. those games. So they had, and then they had the AFL two, and uh, they actually even had a franchise in Green Bay there as the AFL two. But I remember the games originally going way back here in Vegas uh, with the Arena Football League and. And that was some fun stuff. But now you've got the IFL. AFL's kind of disbanded. And uh, I think they're trying to make the IFL the, the major indoor football okay. league. And uh, now Vegas has a team. And Bill Foley is the owner. So, again, Vegas continuing to grow. You know, we've been talking about, okay, you know, the Aces came here and the Raiders. And, you know, what's next? Major League Baseball news today coming out that the Oakland A's now are – it looks like they can't get that stadium deal they've been working on forever there in Oakland. And Major League Baseball has now told the Oakland Athletics, okay, you can start looking for other places. So, of course, what comes to mind, right here Las Vegas. Well, I mean, the AAA teams there out here, you right. know, everything right. else is coming out here now. It, it does make a it, – it, it, it's a normal yeah. thing to at least think of the options there. And, and again, we, we you know, we've heard about Major League Soccer coming out here and building an arena for that. We right. know the lights are out here now, but they're talking right. about getting a, a bigger league for that. Right. I know out at Henderson, uh, you know, the Dollar Loan Center where the Silver Knights will be mm-hmm. playing, there's been talk of bringing an indoor lacrosse team there. And, you know, I, I heard that talk before I even heard about the uh, indoor football league team. So, yeah, there's a lot of things. In, <laughs> that, that, and for people that haven't lived out here forever, there's – there was a lot of things before the Raiders and Golden Knights in that, too. There was roller derby, and there was roller hockey, and there was, you know, there was the Wranglers and the Thunder in hockey. And there, there's been a lot of different leagues out here. They haven't all had the success that these newer teams in this day and age seem to be thriving on. That's right. You had the NWC. Remember that? There you go. <laughs> 
Nemchuk's favorite. There you go. <laughs> All right, we'll continue to monitor this. More sports coming to Vegas. A beautiful thing. I know the fans are going to say, well, hey, how much can, can we take here? You know, how much, how many discretional dollars are out there for people to go to these games? And Mark, How Dav- much is too much, some right. people are saying. So Mark Davis did uh, announce today, because they were talking about with the Las Vegas Aces starting play this week. They're on the road against the Seattle Storm in two games. Their home opener will be on May the 21st, you know, a week from this coming weekend. Uh, what are the protocols? And uh, so he said, as of right now, things are still developing. But as of right now, they will be allowed 2,000 fans at the Michelob Ultra Arena, which is the Mandalay Bay Event Center, the new name there, Michelob Ultra Arena. How so come 2, only 2,000? Uh, they said that's what the protocols. And you know, the, the, Golden, uh, the Aces have 2,000 season ticket holders right now. Now, they hope for that to grow, and it definitely will grow. Uh, but, you know, right now, those fans will be able to be in attendance uh, until they get the green light to expand even further. And guess because I guess we're we're still at you know capacities and everything. So capacity is about eight thousand for uh, the aces. But then you would take into account you know players in the building, personnel, media, all this other kind of stuff, right. uh, workers, all that stuff. So two thousand is the number of the same right now, but I'm sure that is going to increase. Right. And and June first it seems like a lot of things are opening up even more in that too. Right. So, you know, right. we're just a couple of weeks away from it looks like things will be opening up more uh, the way it is kind of across the board. All right. When we come back we'll talk to the new president introduced today. Uh, as the president of the Las Vegas Aces, Nikki Vargas joins us next. You're listening to some bullshit on the TC Monitor. Today, the Las Vegas Aces announced a new president like we've been talking about. And she is Nikki Vargas, the former head coach at LSU. And a a storied uh, playing career, coaching career, and now executive of our Las Vegas Aces. And uh, we welcome her in right now. Nikki, glad to talk with you. And good to see you today. Thank you. I'm excited to um, be here. I'm excited to um, be in this um, leadership role for the Aces and excited to be on the show as well. So thanks for having me. You got it, Nikki. Well, we'll be talking to you uh, quite a bit. Uh, we we appreciate you, and we're it was great uh, meeting you today and uh, talking to you uh, here on the air on th- this afternoon. And uh, so when we got the news, Nikki, it's so funny because we talked about when Kim Mulkey decided to leave Baylor, um, you know, going back last month, we're saying, wow, what is up with that? Why would she leave Baylor and she's going to LSU? And then we got the news that Nikki Vargas decided to step down to pursue another opportunity. Lo and behold, did we know that that other opportunity <laughs> was brewing that you were going to be coming to Vegas and be the president of the Aces? I know. It um, It happened. It happened extremely fast. You know, I have cherished my time at LSU. Um, I've been there for over 10 years and really felt as though the final part of the season, we had acquired a couple of really good transfers, um, really thought that the future of LSU women's basketball still was going to be heading into that national prominence and the season, um, we were in spring training, and um, players were looking good. Everybody's motivated. And then I got a phone call 
And um, the phone call started with um, with Kristen Bernhardt, and um, it started there. Um, she was the the consultant firm um, that Mark Davis had utilized in searching for the next president. And so when my name was <laughs> was brought up in the conversation, you know, wheels started turning. Um, they started realizing um, that this is this this could be a great fit. And so I got a chance to talk to Mark, and we had a great conversation. And then he flew to Baton Rouge, and um, he and Larry Delson, and we just had a great visit. And within probably 48 hours, my entire trajectory as far as staying in coaching changed to moving my family, moving um, my career um, to become the president of the ACES. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that is so tough about leaving, um, you know, LSU and, 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 and when you're making that type of move is the players um, because you're there to not only guide them, graduate them, um, but there's relationships that are that are built. And I've got some great and amazing relationships built at LSU, and they will forever be a part of me. Uh, but this was bigger than me. Um, this was an opportunity to go to the WNBA, be a part of what I've already witnessed and seen the, the increase in the brand and the increase in our, our partnerships, the increase in fan attendance. There's just been an upward movement in women's basketball. And to know that Bill Lambeer at the helm as the head coach, this roster with so many talented young women, I couldn't, could not say no. I mean, it, it, it was an opportunity to do more um, than, than what I've been doing. Um, on a bigger platform, on a bigger stage. But what I've also been groomed to do, I really feel when you're having to um, deal with marketing, you're having to deal with promotions, you're having to deal with fundraising, you're having to deal with social engagement, you're having to deal with community involvement and community engagement, all of those things are lined up to with what some of the responsibilities I will have here. And I think a lot of people may not realize that, but when you are a college head coach, you know, there's just a small fraction of that that is, you know, on the court <laughs> stuff. I mean, you are dealing with foundations, you're dealing with compliance, you're dealing with marketing, you're dealing with appearances in the community, uh, you know, uh, you know, meeting with potential, you know, sponsors and donors and, and all this stuff. So there is, you know, that executive side as a college head coach. So I'm sure, you know, you're going to fit in well it's just you're like you said you're transferring you're just not doing any of the coaching stuff but like you said you are groomed for this even though you've been a college coach for a majority of your career well and i've also if you think about it pat summit is is and will be one of the best businesswomen um that i've ever been a part of and known and was able to work under her and play for her i saw her um increase the television coverage of women's basketball. I saw her increase the salary uh, salaries for coaches and assistant coaches and administrators. Um, I saw her um, increase fan base um, and, and different partnerships that we were able to, to create. I saw her in-game experience that you wanted for the, the, the athlete to be the best in the, in the, in the country. 
um, and and also was part of when you look at sideline seating, what does that look like, um, placement of, of um, your advertisements and things like that. But more importantly, I saw her engagement in the community. And the Debbie Ryans, who Hall of Fame coach, um, been a part of her program, been a part of uh, uh, um, uh, the late um, Sue Gunner at LSU and was at UCLA where Billy Moore set the standard. And those programs are some of, historically, some of the best programs in the country, and they have produced some of the best players in the WNBA. So when Mark created this initiative, this alumni engagement, and I'm looking at the list of alums, I see so many players that, one, I either played against, I either tried to recruit and sign, or I signed them, or I had to scout against them. So so as long as the league has been in existence, that's as long as I've been coaching. And then it's really special to when you walk into the gym and the first person who comes up and gives you a bear hug is Asia Wilson. Because I remember sitting in her home with her parents trying to lure her away from South Carolina <laughs> Um, but with no avail, she decided to go and win a championship. And that's the path, and that, those are the relationships, and, and that's the experience and exposure that I've had in my 25 years um, of service. I've also been on the broadcasting side when there was no games televised. It was one game a week, and that was through um, uh, Fox Sports South a long, long time ago. And to see that we now have our own television package and the national coverage that we are going to get as the WNBA, um, I'm passionate about what that looks like as well um, because that is the degree um, in mass comm. That's what I got my degree in. Um, so I've been around this, this league for a long time, supporting it, having former players, um, knowing a lot of the, the, the general managers and some of the um, head coaches. Um, so I've been – Yes, at the collegiate level, but also have always kept a pulse on the WNBA. Nikki Vargas joins us, newly named president of the Las Vegas Aces. So Bill Lambeer held both duties since they they relocated to Las Vegas. You know, going back four years ago, he was the president and the head coach. And, you know, talking with Bill, I remember him always saying that, hey, you know, it's it's the front office stuff. It's the president stuff that he really didn't. I don't want to say he didn't enjoy, but he just really enjoyed being the head coach, and that's where his passion was. So you know, with him now staying on as head coach, getting a chance to just focus as a head coach, and now mm-hmm. you go making that transition from the head coach to the front office, so to speak. I I know, like I said, you're you're looking forward to it. You're more than qualified, but is there that little itch in you? It's like, man, I'm gonna miss you know you know being on the hardwood, you know, calling those timeouts, <laughs> getting those huddles, diagramming the X's and O's, and and late game situations. There's got to be a little bit of that in you. You know, you you obviously watch the game with a different lens um, because you study the game with um, the intent of how do I win ball games? How do I strategically place my team in a position to win? And so when you're constantly watching it that way, um, you sometimes, and I say this all the time, I don't necessarily get to enjoy it. And so now... I get to really become a true fan 
of women's basketball and just watch and not have to think about coming <laughs> and drawing up plays and things like that. So I'm excited that I will be able to truly focus in on advancing our game, um, creating initiatives that will allow more um, opportunities for our players, not only here but in the entire league, where they deserve to have a first-class facility, they deserve for the the to, to make a, a um, to make more money. They deserve to have um, the ability to stay in the states and not have to go overseas to play. They have, they deserve the ability um, to 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 work here and stay here year-round and train um, if they if they choose to do so. So I'm, 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 I love that we also have shown that the power of their voice when it's unified. I also see how the impact that they can have on the community um, with their ability to connect with and, and different corporate partnerships that we can develop here in the Las Vegas market because of the vision when you bring a team, and, and thank you to MG, MGM um, Resorts, Resorts International for their um, vision of bringing the Aces here um, three years ago. And then they have the right coach. Bill Lambeer is the guardian and has been a guardian of guardian of the game. And he will continue um, to lead this team. And we are poised to bring home, and our goal is to bring home um, the first of what we hope will be many WNBA championships. We have the players, we have the staff, and it is my um, responsibility to make sure that um, our team here in the front office, when you have a world-class basketball team, you're going to have to have a world-class front office, and that's what we're um, supporting and gearing towards, and that's what we plan to do here at the Aces. All right, uh, wrapping things up here with uh, Nikki Vargas, the President, the newly appointed president of the Las Vegas Aces, T.C. Martin, along with Frank Harnish. When you first heard that this possibility could be a reality for you to come here with this job, how much more enticing did it make at the fact that you were coming to not only a first-class organization and a really competitive team, one of the favorites to win, but also coming to arguably the hottest sports market in the United States right now with the Raiders and the Golden Knights and everything else going on just in the community here in Vegas itself? This, You know, when you think about Las Vegas and you think about the Raiders and, like you said, the, the it is becoming a hotbed and are, you know, there's an opportunity for, for us to become what you would call the, the North Star um, as the premier destination um, for players because of this community. You know, this community wants um, and, and, and is, 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 is going to support winners. Um, and we have, we, have a, we have a championship culture here. Um, I'm, I'm very familiar with the Raiders way um, with my husband, Justin Fargus, being a former Raider. And the opportunity that I've had to go to some of those alumni weekends, that engagement alone and that initiative alone says a lot about um, Mark and, and the vision that he has that these, these young ladies deserve nothing but the best. And so when you put that emphasis on being the best and, and, and giving of yourself, then what we're going to be able to do is give back to the community. We're going to be able to have more community engagement where our 
players are, are here, that's provided we can keep them here year-round, you'll see them more. They'll be a more staple, a household name. Um, so this opportunity to come to this market is one of, if not the strongest market, because what we've done is our owner, Mark Davis, has said, you know what, I'm going to invest in women's basketball and to be the first um, NFL football owner to do so, there's no telling what that could parlay into. Will there be others? Can we expand the lead lead on Mark's um, important um, decision that has changed the landscape of how we do business as far as a, as far as a league and as far as an organization? That that is the new era that we are wanting to take and project the WBA and the Las Vegas Aces into. All right, uh, Nikki, it was uh, great uh, talking with you today. Great seeing you earlier today at the press conference. I know we'll be seeing you around the arena and uh, talking to you a heck of a lot more. Uh, Congratulations. Uh, Welcome to Vegas. And uh, go Aces all the way here. Go Aces. All right. Thank you, guys. Take care. There she is, uh, Nikki Vargas. The newly appointed president of the Las Vegas Aces. And again, things really coming together with this organization since they relocated you know, from San Antonio, purchased by the MGM. And at that point in time when Bill Lambeer came over, I mean, he was the face of the franchise as the president, as the head coach. And again, kind of a small staff. You draft Asia Wilson, number one. All of a sudden, you've built a pretty darn good roster. Now you look at this team. They're one of the favorites in the WNBA. They get purchased by Mark Davis, owner of the Raiders. Um, you know, from the MGM, uh, you got a great home at the Mandalay Bay, newly renovated a few years ago, and now you bring more and more talent in there. The fan base has increased. Practice facility uh, practice, about to be upgraded big time. Be, practice facility being built uh, there in Henderson right now. And again, Mark Davis has always been a fan of the women's game. He loves women's sports. Uh, a regular, a season ticket holder at the Las Vegas Aces games prior to him owning the team, and now he is all in. And this is this is beautiful because he's not going to spare any expense whatsoever. And uh, Aces fans and just people here in Las Vegas have to be very, very happy that you've got solid ownership, not only in the Aces, but with the Raiders and the Golden Knights. It's a great thing. And we talk about this being a sports town. Your sports town is only as good as two things, in my opinion. You have to have, well, three things. You have to have a passionate fan base, you have to be able to win, and you've got to be able to have solid ownership. Three for three. Check all those boxes. Yeah, and, and certainly uh, in Vegas, you know, it sounds like a cliche thing, but, uh, you know, when you have all aces, you should be all in. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just kind of a theme. But, no, I mean, it, it, it's an exciting time, and uh, I know the aces are excited about uh, all the things going on with them. And I'm sure Bill Lambeer, although he'll probably miss some of the other things of the job, like you said, now he can focus just on being the coach and doing everything that he's supposed to do out there. So, you know, it's a, it's going to be a little bit different uh you know, from coming from uh, LSU here to Vegas. But like she said, she knows the city and that. Uh, you know, she knows the uh, Mark Davis and that organization as well. So uh, it, it sounds like a pretty good fit out here. You know, it almost makes you feel sorry for the other three candidates that didn't get the gig. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, congratulations to Nikki Vargas. Bill Lambeer, uh now just the head coach. And I know deep down inside he's probably 
happy about that because it does take some of his responsibility away. I know, you know, we've talked to him so many times. Hey, I've got to go to this meeting. I got to take care of this and I got to be able to concentrate, you know, on my team and practices and everything. So, and he loves coaching. He's done a fantastic job for 20 plus years in this league. He can concentrate on that. He will join us tomorrow and we'll get his thoughts about the transition uh, as well. So look forward to that. All right. So, so some more terrible Tuesday stuff here. Uh, I don't know if you got a chance to see or hear about the Dodger-Angel game the other night. So the Dodgers are playing the Angels. The Dodgers had lost four games in a row heading to this game. Dodgers have not been playing well. They have not. You know, it's always tough, we say, to repeat in any sport as a champion. And the Dodgers have noticed that this year when they've got a great roster. And remember, they were the favorites on the betting board to win it all. And, you know, they, they have struggled out of the gate. So when you go back... Uh, to this series where they lost four in a row, they decided to start Clayton Kershaw out of this game. And the Dodgers got out to a lead, and they started crushing the Angels. They built up a lead of 13 to nothing in this game. That's when Dave Roberts wanted to intervene and do what Dave Roberts typically does in these close, meaningful games, right? We've seen him do it in the playoffs. We've seen him do, do it uh, during the World Series. Yes. So what did he do? He starts pulling his starters. First and foremost, he pulls Clayton Kershaw out after the fifth inning. After leading 13 to nothing, Clayton, you've had enough. 71 pitches. Also exiting, he takes out of the lineup Mookie Betts, uh, Corey Seager, and Justin Turner. Takes his top three hitters out of the lineup. The top of the order, gone. You know who they're replaced by now? They're replaced by DJ Peters, batting 125. Replaced by Cabert Ruiz, batting a buck sixty-seven, and now batting third in your lineup is Sheldon Noyce, who's batting two nineteen. Oh, and now that Clayton Kershaw is not pitching in this game, you go to Dennis Santana, gives up three hits in the first inning, two base on balls, four earned runs. He lasts an inning in the third. This guy's ERA heading into the game was seven point three six. Just what I want to do. Next up. Let's bring in Mitch White. He gives up five hits, one walk, six runs, and before you know it, this game is 13-11, to just like that. Way to go, Dave Roberts. Now, the Dodgers, decide uh, they were lucky to hang on to the win. They win 14-11, to but we knew it was going to happen. Here come the Angels. They put four into the sixth inning, seven in the seventh inning. Like I said, 14-11 to the final. But you know what's also terrible about this? How Joe Madden managed this game as well, too. He's equally as bad because you know what he did? He took out Mike Trout in the fifth inning when they were down. He took out Justin Upton. So he removes his three and four hitters. Can you imagine when the Dodgers start bringing in these ham and egg pitchers and now you got Trout and Justin Upton on the bench? They could have won the game. They lose 14 to 11. They battle back. With, with seven runs of their own in one inning. And so Joe Madden and Dave Roberts decided to say, we quit. One on the winning side, one on the end side. Let's go ahead and just, 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 just call it a day. What is up with this? Well, it sounds to me like it was two managers that both thought the game was over well before it was over. 
decided to just start doing silly stuff, I guess because they can. Obviously, Larry Boa wasn't one of those managers because he knew it wasn't, it wasn't enough runs. We, we saw that when we talked to him about and that. And that's why I kind of wanted to transition <laughs> this story into his interview. We were talking about the, the 23-22 game with the Phillies and the Cubs, but yeah, we didn't yeah, have seven time. Seven runs in yeah. the first and eight right. run inning yeah. after that, right. so that's 15 runs. But, yeah, it's, right. it's again – Sometimes guys try to show why they're geniuses or why they have a job and that kind of stuff. Maybe they just thought, you know what, it's 13 to nothing. Yeah. Ah, these fans, let's give them their money's worth and make a game out of it anyhow. Let's see who can screw this up. Unbelievable. All right. And speaking of the Dodgers, you know, we do have uh, breaking news with the Dodgers. And we told you about this last week that the Dodgers have now got their Dodger dog deal. That's right. So the Dodger dog is still in effect, even though Farmer John's is not the official because Farmer John's decided, hey, no more of this. Uh, no they, Moss Farmer John's. No Moss Farmer John's. <laughs> but they uh, signed some other uh, ham and egg company to now do the Dodger dog. That's right. New supplier is Papa Cantella's. They're the new Dodger dog at Dodger Stadium. So is it the Papa dog? <laughs> it, it, it could, could be. All right. And, and I got to throw out an anniversary here. I, uh, real quick, I got an anniversary story here for the University of Utah in Creighton. 30 years ago today, my friend, they played a college softball doubleheader. Game one began at 6 p.m., and the game uh, took place in Utah in Salt Lake City. And uh, the game went a little bit long. Yes, the game was tied nothing nothing after seven innings. It's tied nothing nothing after nine innings, after 12, after 15. After 18 innings, after 20 innings, no score. And in the top of the 31st inning, a sack fly for Creighton gave them a one nothing lead. Utah did not score in the bottom half. Final score, my friend, one nothing Creighton over Utah in 31 innings in a game that took six hours and 25 minutes. It ended at 12.30 in the morning. So it actually ended the next day. It did. It did. Now, don't you want to ask me about game two? I was going to say, that was only game one, so what happened in game two? Game two? Well, it started 20 minutes later, right? Because that's how doubleheaders do, right? So instead of saying no, they changed uniforms like in the middle of the first game because they were all sweaty and everything. Yeah, that game didn't last as long. That one went five hours and 25 minutes. It finished at 6.10 a.m., 25 innings. So today is the anniversary of a total of a 56-inning Double header between Creighton and Utah. And it started at six and ended after six, so twelve hours over twelve hours of softball out there. Yeah, can you believe that? You know why? Why? They didn't ever run on second base. That's it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that is true. Back in those days they didn't do that. And our, and our, and our good friend Paul could probably uh you know uh, you know he can attest to that story. I, I want to relate to that story. It, since it's women's go, softball, did one pitcher throw the entire game? Because those ladies can be out there and throw a long time throwing underhand like that. So I, I don't know if the same pitchers went, but go ahead. Uh, 700 combined pitches in that game one. 700 pitches. Even Nolan Ryan's going, that's impressive. I'd like to be at that game. How about announcing that game? How about bringing your date home from that game and explaining to your father, no, we were at the ball game. Yeah, right? <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. How about the scorebook? How about everything? I mean, that's that's crazy. That scorebook, you mean volume one and volume <laughs> yeah, two? Right, exactly. It's like a Kill Bill <laughs> thing. All right. 
All right, I want to thank uh, Vic, uh, Nikki Vargas, the new president of the Aces, joining us today. Larry Boa, a great shortstop back in the day with the Phillies and the Cubs, manager of the year. Some great stuff there. You can go listen to that interview up on the website at tcmartinshow.com. We'll have that up for you very, very shortly. All right. More hockey tomorrow we talk. And Bill Lambeer joins us tomorrow as well, too. Yep. Always a lot happening on the T.C. Martin Show. Yeah. Terrible Tuesday it is. All right. For Ballpark Frank, T.C. saying so long. Have yourself a good day and night. We reconvene tomorrow at 2 o'clock. See ya. Hasta la vista, baby. You miss any part of it, you know where to go. T.C. Martin Show.com.